right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back once again on my lonesome to go back in time to 1996. Yes, that's right. It's a long overdue review of SummerSlam 1996 and Hogwild 1996, the August pay-per-views for both the WWF and WCW. I've been a little bit slow on the 96 timeline in recent weeks, but I will be catching back up. Now, getting through the pay-per-views always seems to slow down the timeline, but once I bang them out, we get a quick-fire bunch of episodes, and that will hopefully be the case again. Hogwild, the starters off, as always, came from Sturgis, South Dakota, in front of approximately 5,000 bikers revving their engines, and was bought by about 155,000 people. SummerSlam, on the other hand, was in Cleveland, Ohio, aka the heartland of America. Wait, I think that's a heartland of America. I could be wrong on that. Um, and 17,000 in attendance and 157,000 buys on pay-per-view. So it got the slight edge, but as we know, that probably will not be the case for much longer. The two shows were historically pretty significant, so I've been looking forward to getting into these, and I breezed through watching them. It's just been a matter of the recording that's held me down, so I do apologize to everyone for that once again. There's a whole bunch of shows in the pipeline for the next month or so. So hopefully the delay won't be too much longer this time around, including a new spin-off I'm doing on my own, still wrestling related, but something a little bit different for me once again. Anyway, that will do it with the rambling, since there's nobody here to bounce off of. So we're going to go into the first pay-per-view that I watched, and that was Hog Wild. Less than an hour from an icon of democracy and the geographic center of these United States, through the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota, a small town of 6,500 people lies in wait. Since 1938, enthusiasts have gathered here for something more than just riding a machine between your legs. It is known simply as Sturgis, the motorcycle rally of the world. A quarter of a million bikers are jammed into this small town for racing, festivities, and the biggest biker party on the planet. Sheer World Championship Wrestling arrives, proving that this annual event will truly be hog wild. The giant now must 
carry the banner tonight at Hogwell for WCW, Bubby. Well, I'll tell you something. All the years I've been in this great sport, sometimes you get a gut feeling. Sometimes you just know something's going to happen. You just feel it in your bones. I feel tonight that the Giant, as big as he is, as tough as he is, is in deep, deep trouble. Oh, you I'll do. tell you why. Because of the, the NWO. Hogwild 96, as you would have heard there, opens up with Tony Schiavone talking over footage of the Sturgis Biker Rally. Not really my thing, but it's a novel concept for WCW nonetheless. The pay-per-view broadcast team is Tony Schiavone with Bobby the Brain Heenan and Dusty Rhodes. Um, those who are keen on their WCW history might tweak at hearing that pay-per-view broadcast team for this show, and we'll get to that later. The first contest is Ultimo Dragon out with Sonny Ono to take on Rey Mysterio for the WCW Cruiserweight title. Fuck yeah. Mike Tanay joins the booth, so we go to a four-man for the first match. Um, and Tony Schiavone says goodbye to TBS because this is on a Saturday night and WCW Saturday night was ending as the pay-per-view was starting. A novel concept to try and get some people to order the show uh, to keep watching throughout the night. We start with some chain wrestling and then an Ultimo Dragon slam. We get a USA chant despite both the competitors being foreign. We get a spin kick and a quick exchange before Ultimo Dragon goes into some nice kicks and a handspring elbow, a running powerbomb and then a figure four. Ray comes back with a springboard dropkick, a baseball slide, knocks Dragon off the ring uh, mat, and then we notice that it's on a platform. Uh, he falls a few feet to the dirt floor. It's a little bit weird, a square platform that the ring's elevated on with mats around the outside. Ray hits a plancher. Um, we then oh, pass the mat straight to the floor, which is a hell of a drop. Back inside, he hits a top rope flying runner. Ultimo Dragon hits a plancher of his own and a German suplex for a two. A moonsault for a two before Ray hits a springboard uh, top rope Hurricane Rana for the one, two, three in a really good fast-paced opener. Looking back on the WCW Cruiserweight division, the only real, I guess, it's not a negative, but like observation, I would say, is a lot of the matches just ended with top rope Hurricane Rana's. Like that was the super lucha move. Um, I think the finishes possibly, you know, over time that becomes a little bit repetitive, but I'm looking back with 20 year hindsight as well. So I'm not going to be too critical. The match itself was phenomenal. Rey Mysterio is an absolute legend and Ultimo Dragon is one of my boys as far as uh, to coin an OSW phrase. Love me some Ultimo Dragon. So yeah, really enjoyable. Definitely check this out if you haven't seen it before. We then go to Mean Gene Oakland in a Canadian tuxedo looking like an absolute Muppet with the cap and shades on, shilling his hotline um, as Tony Schiavone tells us some more about Sturgis and the bike rally. From there, we go to Scott Norton taking on Ice Train as Fire and Ice collides. Bit of a slugfest early. Ice Train's got a taped up chest and arm from a prior injury. Scott Norton dominates the match pretty much all the way through um, because of the injury. Teddy Long's not here as well. Um, apparently, he and uh, Scott, sorry, he and Ice Train were both injured by the Giant. Ice Train hits a power slam for a two before Scott Norton comes back with an arm breaker and an arm bar and puts the injured Ice Train down with a submission victory. We then go to a Ric Flair pre recorded promo on the NWO. He wants revenge for the attack on Arn Anderson. Um, not Flair's best work. It's a little bit of an awkward phase here where the NWO are the bad guys to the good guys and the bad guys of WCW. So that will over time swing and the WCW crew will become the baby faces by default, but we're not there yet. 
We then go to Bull Nakano with Sunny Yono once again, taking on Medusa in a USA flag attire coming out on a Harley. And this is going to be a bike versus bike. Um, whoever wins gets to smash the opponent's bike. So Sunny Ono's um, Japanese bike, uh, Honda, I think it was, up against Medusa's Harley Davidson. Bull's got some nunchucks here early. Um, doesn't use them, however, and the referee takes them away. She hits two really big beals on Medusa, and we get a big USA chant from her. I'm going to try and find a nice way to say this, but what could possibly be a bunch of white racists um, who are going to boot anyone who isn't light-skinned, and um, that's not just my guessing. We'll get more into that later. The match itself is pretty good. We get a Sling Blade, a DDT from um, Bull, a Rana from Medusa and a spin kick, a clothesline from Bull, and then Medusa hits a nice German suplex for a two. Bobby Heenan keeps on hit, going with the Shigata all through the match, and Tony Schiavone is getting well pissed off by this point. Bull with a back suplex, and the referee counts three, but then says two. Um, it was a little bit of a strange a botched ending there. Um, We then see um, Sunny Ono take a shot at Medusa's bike before she comes out and beats the shit out of his bike. So it's really unclear as to whether or not the match was won. Um, I think what they were actually going for was uh, Medusa getting her shoulder up and getting, you know, like the old Bret Hart, like you've been suplexed, but you roll your shoulder and get the three. But it was a little bit clunky there again. Medusa eventually trashes the Honda um, to rapturous applause from the Sturgis crowd. We then go backstage and we see the Steiners fighting with a computer, uh, supposedly on CompuServe, and that just sounds like the made-up company that Homer Simpson tried to sell to Bill Gates by this point in time. And Dean Malenko with Jimmy Hart taking on Chris Benoit, who comes out with Woman and Liz now that he's part of the Horseman. They exchange strikes. Uh, Benoit hits a knee, and Malenko comes back with an elbow for a two. Some chops and pin exchanges. Uh, Malenko goes for an armbar, Benoit hits a snap suplex, and a du- uh, they collide with a double cross body. Benoit hits a flying headbutt before Malenko hits a tombstone that's only good enough for a two count. Malenko hits a cross body over the top, and then Dean Malenko hits a superplex. Benoit comes back with a power slam for a two, and a Malenko release German is only good enough for a two as well. Benoit with a short clothesline for a two before Dean Malenko hits an overhead belly-to-belly for a two and Benoit hits a German of his own for a two. Um, At this point in time, the announcer gives us the five-minute warning that we're coming towards the end of the match. And long-time listeners of this show will know that always gets my spidey senses tingling. Benoit goes for a Boston Crab as we get to the three-minute mark. A powerbomb is only good enough for a two as we get to the one-minute mark. Both are trying frantically to win. Malenko with a powerbomb and a pin, but it's too late, and we go to a draw, which elicits booze from the crowd. Um, pretty good match, other than the, the draw ending, but then we're told five minutes overtime, so Benoit jumps him, hits a back suplex and a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, both only good enough for a two. Um, Malenko locks in the cloverleaf, and then we get... Oh, sorry, Benoit tries the cloverleaf before Malenko fights out and hits an enziguri. They clash heads, and then Benoit goes back onto the leg and locks in a leg lock, and time runs out once again for another draw. But of course, we're told there'll be a second five-minute overtime, and now this gets booze from the crowd, who probably don't want to watch any two men wrestle for 30 minutes, if I'm being completely honest. Benoit hits a backdrop before Malenko comes back with a dragon screw leg whip. 
Benoit hits a dragon suplex for a two. Dean Malenko gets a cloverleaf on, and then Woman goes to help Benoit, but Malenko switches to an STF. Woman interferes once again. I think the first one may have jumped the gun on her cue, and this allows Benoit to lock in a schoolboy for the one, two, three. By this time, however, they had completely lost the crowd. I think the double overtime was a mistake. <laughs> as my dog begins barking in the other room. But other than that, really enjoyable match, and I think for the hardcore wrestling fan, you would definitely want to check this one out. Our next contest is the Steiner Brothers taking on Harlem Heat, who come out with Colonel Robert Parker. Um, Colonel Robert Parker? Colonel... I may have just accidentally... Did I just change his name? I'm going to have to quick Google break and check that. And yes, it was Colonel Robert Parker with Central Sherry. The Steiners come out with Scott looking absolutely huge. And I this is the point of the night where I'd notice the uncomfortable truth about this crowd. It's a crowd full of white bikers challenging Stevie Ray to come into the crowd for a fight. Does not age well that they are basically just hating on Harlem Heat for being black. We get some good suplexes from Scott Steiner and a press slam, a 10 punch and a hip toss, Rick Steiner with a big clothesline, Booker T with a nice side slam, and Scott comes back in with a belly to belly. Sherry is screaming on the outside, to which Rick Steiner very pointedly just says, shut up, bitch. We get an outside brawl, a Booker T sidekick, and a suplex. A Scott Steiner overhead belly to belly for a two, and then um, we get the heels powdering. They use the cane to Scott to pick up the one, two, three in the cheap victory. Would have loved to have seen this match in a normal arena and get an extra 10 minutes, but it was okay for the short time that it had. We see a video recap of the wrestlers coming to the show on their motorbikes. It's got some pretty poor audio, so it's not the best. Uh, Medusa tells us that all walks of life are here, except for anybody who isn't white, of course. We then go to our next contest, which is Ric Flair, who comes out with the girls, um, defending his United States title against Eddie Guerrero. This is the point of the show where I'd notice Bobby Heenan just sounds a little bit tipsy. Um, I'm sure there's probably a compilation of all the drunk things he said somewhere on YouTube, so I won't go through the entire show trying to splice bits of it. But if you haven't watched this show, check out the last hour and just listen to Bobby Heenan and laugh like I did. They exchange slaps and we get a bit of a clunky wrestling exchange afterwards. Guerrero with a nice drop kick and a backdrop before Flair hits a low blow. Guerrero hits a figure four, uh, locks in a figure four, sorry, before Flair escapes and goes up top, but he's caught. We get the sunset flip with the full moon on Ric Flair. The frog splash, uh, but Guerrero's got a hurt knee coming down off the ropes. This allows Flair to lock in the figure four, um, and he actually pins him in the figure four for a bit of a blasé ending. This match never really got to the heights I was expecting, which is disappointing considering the two guys in there. From there, we go to Mean Gene with Jimmy Hart and the Giant. Gene still looks like an absolute tit, and the Giant cuts a promo on Hulk Hogan, which I will splice in right about now. 
And this beautiful, I'm talking about the Giant, along with manager Jimmy Hart, a little bit later on tonight, a title defense. We talk about the sunset, but some say the sun may be setting on World Championship Wrestling because of the new world order, Jimmy. Hogan, tonight's a giant step for you. Don't trip and fall because nobody's going to be there to pick you up. Giant, we talked about this earlier in the live show on TBS. You're going to be facing Hulk Hogan. Here's a man that you idolize. What is going through your mind as we speak at this hour? What's going through my mind right now is a long history of betrayal. When I was a kid, I was by far the biggest Hulk Hogan fan in the world. And I saw your true colors way before the rest of the world did. When you came out on Nitro and you told the kids and the fans of the world to stick it, you reminded me of the pain you caused me. Well, believe me, Hogan, tonight in Sturgis, I'm going to be the one to stick it. I'm going to stick my hand right around your neck. I'm going to squeeze it till your eyes pop. And I'm going to drive your neck right through the ring. Hogan, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Tonight, I lay the hoaxer to rest. Oh! Well, that is setting the scene for the big head-on collision. As you know, the NWO, the New World Order, is very prominent here tonight. We're going to be seeing the Outsiders in a moment as they face Lex and Sting at the big title defense for the Giant as he defends against Hulk Hogan. It is a very special evening, a very special event, one of the greatest I could ever recall in World Championship Wrestling history. Our following contest is Sting and Lex Luger taking on Hall and Nash, the Outsiders. Scott Hall and Lex start. We get a backdrop from Hall. It's a bit of a slow pace with a big match feel early, which I don't mind. Lex with a knee lift and a slam. Nash comes in and wants Sting. He spits on Sting to enrage him and get him in the ring. Sting comes in and pokes him in the eye and slams him. A bit early in the match for the slam, in my opinion, but it did get a good pop. Nash with the snake eyes. Hall with the SOS for a two. They beat down on Sting and take turns, double team and cheating. We get a head clash, and then Sting off the ropes bounces into the balls of Kevin Nash. Bobby Heenan oddly cheers um, for the NWO before being reminded that he's on the other team, which again leads me to think that he's just a bit drunk. We get a big boot from Nash and a hot tag. Um, Lex comes in and cleans house. We get a power slam. Um, Sting locks in the scorpion on Nash on the floor. Lex goes for the torture rack, um, but he... Pretends to get hit, um, then we get a chop block on Lex and a quick count for... Sorry, the referee pretends to get hit. That was a, a big plot point. Don't let me skim over that, not being able to read my writing. Referee Nick Patrick pretends to be hit by something and cannot check um, bumps in the into Lex, stopping him getting the rack up. We then get a chop block on Lex and... Nick Patrick counts a fast count for the one, two, three. Dusty calls him out for it, but the others don't notice, and there's no replay, which is really weird. Um, it's just a, a little bit of a strange sort of like oversight production-wise, in my opinion here. And the other effect it has is it makes Tony Schiavone especially look really like not very bright. Um, he starts talking about school holidays. Like the NWO have just possibly infiltrated your referees and picked up another cheap victory on pay-per-view and you're talking about what the kids are going to be doing now that school's out like it just yeah it didn't vibe well for me that part of the show we then go into our main event of the evening the giant defending the wcw title against hulk hogan and we get the awesome michael buffer intro which i will play for you here 
in the match as we go to Michael Buffer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to WCW Hot Wild here in the very heart of America, the land of Crazy Hearts, Mount Rushmore, and the Badlands, and of course, the home to the 56th Annual Assembly of the World's Greatest Bikers, Sturgis, South Dakota! Tonight, we will see no event that has ever been performed in the history of the WCW like the one you're about to see. An outside organization, the New World Order, will attempt to steal the title of the World Heavyweight Champion. In this, the battle for the WCW Heavyweight Championship of the World. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Bikers of the world, are you ready? For the thousands in attendance here at ringside, and the millions watching around the world on television, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! And they are doing just that. Hogan stalls early. Um, Giant's looking really lean at this point and sells the punches of Hogan. We get a lot of stalling. A giant back suplex. Hogan goes out again. It's one move, powder to the floor. One move, powder to the floor. Test of strength and Hogan kicks the Giant to get an advantage. Um, giant takes over and locks in a hammerlock and that's definitely going to rate on the scale at this point. Um, it's a really dull match. A little bit of outside brawling. A giant backbreaker and a slam. Giant hulks up and hits a boot, signals for the choke slam, but out comes Hall. Um, he eats a choke slam. Nash comes out and eats a choke slam, but Hogan nails Giant with the belt for the one, two, three. So WCW have been being invaded for two or three months now, and like they've had police out gripping their guns, the whole locker room emptying. But in the NWO's first ever title shot to really take proper control of the company. Nobody bothered to keep an eye on whether the outsiders might come out. Again, just like a plot hole that really, it, it defies logic. Speaking of defying logic, after the main event, we get some main event Brutus Beefcake. He comes out with a birthday cake for Hulk Hogan because it's his birthday. Um, Giants out cold for the whole time this angle's going on as well, by the way, so it was some belt shot. I'll splice in the Hogan promo while the Giant's still dead. No outsiders. Booty man knows it's Hulk Hogan's birthday, brother. Yeah. And you know what? Now I'm gonna wish a happy birthday to me, brother. Yo, booty man. What a surprise. Hey, Hulk, I just want to say, first of all, congratulations on being the new. NWO he is World not. Heavyweight Champion! He is the WCW Heavyweight Champion. Very simply put, that is a falsehood right there. In just a second, it's my pleasure to wish you, brother, a happy birthday in front of all these people at Starkin. Well, where's the member? 
members of the Dungeon Doom when you need them. Yeah. And last but not least, I just want to put my hand out and thank you for being there for me for 22 years, man. Congratulations, champ. Well, we have a you know something, booty man? I love you, man, like you're my own blood. You know something, man? For 20 years, brother, you and I have been hanging together. And to have you here with an NWO shirt on is something special. But you know something, brothers? Now that I'm the champion in Denver, Colorado, Ric Flair is gonna get the beating of his life. But you know something? There's something we all gotta learn here, man. The reason the NWO is so powerful, the reason we're gonna make Ted Turner look like a second-class citizen, we're gonna wipe out the WCW, is that we never mix business with friendship or pleasure. And you know something, Ric Flair, we attacked the WCW for a reason, not because Arn Anderson was there. And so you showed your down card, brother. You got a soft spot, dude, for Arn Anderson. Well, this is my best friend here. And the one thing he's been driving me crazy about is the NWO, man. And now that we've got the mission accomplished, we want to tell you one thing, brother. They do not have We never, ever mix business with friendship, but this is a special occasion, man. And we got a surprise for you. You know what, brother? We got a surprise. Hold on. What in the world is going on? Get him, boys. Let's get him. Can you believe this? Unbelievable. And as you heard, they all turn on Beefcake and don't allow him entry into the NWO. Good call. I wouldn't have either. And the famous spray painting of the belt. No WCW wrestler came out during this whole thing. So the NWO, the invading party, were not only able to win the World Heavyweight title with two guys interfering, but they were able to then have a birthday party in the ring over the unconscious former champion and not one person came out. So overall, I think this show compared to Bash at the Beach is a bit of a miss. Um, some really good wrestling on the undercard and then the main event, main event angles made no sense, which is probably what most people would describe as WCW, but I guess I thought in 96 we're probably going to see more coherent storytelling before the wheels come off. That being said, the show overall was enjoyable. I would recommend watching it if you haven't seen it, and the stuff that I'm talking about, whilst it's gaping holes, it doesn't completely detract from the storyline that's going on in the NWO are still running wild. That will do it for Hogwild, and now we're going to go into Halftime. Peace God, now the shit is explained I'm taking niggas on a trip straight through memory lane It's like that y'all, it's like that y'all episode's halftime we're going to go back to our two-minute movie reviews and talk about the all-time classic and one of my favorite ever films Scarface. 
Scarface made in the late 70s. If you haven't seen it, it still holds up to this day. Al Pacino as Tony Montana, possibly the greatest gangster film ever made, certainly top five, if not the number one. But just a film I can go back and watch at a minute's notice, as I did last week. Um, over here in Queensland, Australia, we've had a few, we've been in and out of lockdowns and things like that again recently and had some bad weather. So a lot of my football training or games have been cancelled on short notice. So I ended up sat in the house with a beer in my hand and everyone in bed wondering what to do. So last week I thought, old favourite, let's throw on Scarface. Watched it and it, yeah, it just, it holds up impeccably. Such a great film, good pace. It's a long film, but doesn't ever drag. Um, And at times has you rooting for the bad guy, even though he is a despicable villain. Just the probably like, certainly in my lifetime, the first time I can remember the the term, the anti-villain coming into play where he's definitely the bad guy. He refers to himself as the bad guy, but there are times during the film where you want him to succeed. So very much the inspiration of the Razor Ramon character, which is the wrestling tie-in, I guess here. But if you... One of the, the few people on the earth that hasn't seen Scarface, go and watch it. Like, you owe it to yourself to watch this film. It is brilliant. That'll do it for this week's halftime show. Um, anyone has any ideas on what we can throw in these little interludes just to bridge the gap between the two shows, be my guest. I'm running out of wrestling memorabilia off the top of my head to talk about, and I'm not really, other than my figures, buying much anymore. So happy to chat about something different. Or if anyone has ideas and they want to send in a halftime interlude, two-minute clip is certainly easier than appearing on an hour or two-hour podcast. Be my guest. Hit me up at Rory's Nitro on Twitter. The monsters. They wear many masks in our world. Some are deranged, psychotic beings, unaware of the insanity that festers within. Others are brutal, ruthless assailants, executioners of a sinister plan. The Monster Slayers. They too are varied and unique. Shawn Michaels, the WWF champion, yields 200 pounds, known as Vader. But he counters with guile, superb athleticism, and the courage of a gallant champion. And then there's The Undertaker, the mysterious light in a world of darkness. To exorcise the demon mankind, he cannot rely upon convention. In this cold, unforgiving battleground, he must embrace the horror to defeat it. For the monsters to be abolished, David must slay Goliath. The Reaper must claim another damned soul. But good doesn't always triumph over evil. Sometimes victory eludes heroics. Sometimes the horror lives on. From beautiful, historic Cleveland, Ohio, home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, majestic Jacobs Field, and the spectacular new Gundarina, Super Size Stridex Pads presents WWF SummerSlam. And we're back to look at SummerSlam 1996. We have a really good Monsters of the WWF opening that you would have heard spliced in there. And the commentary team of JR, Vince McMahon, and Mr. Perfect is certainly an interesting one. Jerry the King Lawler, of course, is going to wrestle on this show. We start out with Savio Vega versus Owen Hart. Owen out with his cast and a slammy. And this is a match I don't really remember. Um, 
I assume it made the Colosseum video, but SummerSlam 96 is one of them shows I remember seeing once or twice. It was one of the, sh- the tapes that was at my local video easy back in the day to date myself. But I must have only rented it once or twice, and it, it's the main event, the two big matches that stick with me. So this one I didn't really have a big memory of. Owen goes to use the cast, and Tim White threatens to DQ him early, and then Savio begins working over the arm. We get a slam, and then an inset... Um, show um, Vader doing weights with Jim Cornette. An inset promo, sorry, shows Vader doing weights with Jim Cornette. Um, He's in his Vader gear and a pair of Reebok pumps. So (laughs) that's a visual for all of you. Arm drags get a two count for Savio. Owen Hart kicks out of a roll-up and um, pushes Savio's uh, shoulder into the post, not his post into the shoulder. Clarence Mason comes out since Cornette is backstage and not ringside. Savio hits a crossbody for a two before Owen hits a spin kick and they exchange some pins. Savio hits an inverted atomic and a side slam for a two. Owen Hart with a neck breaker and a missile drop kick for a two. And then a really well-hidden cast shot knocks Savio out and allows Owen Hart to pick up the win. Of course, Owen being Owen, Owen being Owen, he doesn't just settle for a pin, but he locks it a sharpshooter and makes the referee declare him unconscious to pick up the win. After the match, uh, Bradshaw comes out, um, yells something at the commentary team about uh, Savio being a Puerto Rican dog, and then nails Savio Vega. So a pretty decent opening contest here, and an angle furthering with Bradshaw and Savio. We then go backstage and see Todd Pettengale in the boiler room with Mankind, a nice eerie promo. Before switching gears completely and coming out for our tag team title match, it's the New Rockers versus the Bonnie Dodders versus the Smoking Guns versus the Godwins. Henry with a hip toss to start. Billy and Bart um, both get tagged in and they must wrestle. So this is a, a weird one that I think the Outlaws in a couple of years' time take advantage of. They argue a bit and Bart tags out. Marty Gennetti comes in and trips Zip. Um, Billy with a drop down forearm for the one, two, three um, in a pretty poor Survivor Series style finish there. Um, the Rockers then isolate Henry Godwin. He hits a slop drop on Marty Gennetti for the three in quick order and gets rid of them. And it's now down to the Guns and the Godwins. Bart with a slam and then they double team on Henry for a while before he fights back and gets a hot tag to Phineas. We get a slop drop. Um, but we also have Hillbilly Jim and Sonny arguing. Bart comes off the top with an elbow for the one, two, three in the confusion, and the smoking guns retain the tag team titles. We then go to a video of Cleveland, and we see Jerry Lawler at a Cleveland Indians game, um, and the Godwins racing the smoking guns to see whether or not I think horses or the train was a faster way to get into town. It was pretty ridiculous. Um, the Godwins win. <laughs> Our next match is another one I didn't really have massive memories of, probably for good reason. It's the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith versus Psycho Sid. I say that tongue-in-cheek because I love both of these guys, but they're not two that I would put together, you know. Like, I love um, beer and ice cream, but I wouldn't pour them into the same glass. <laughs> Doc Hendricks with Sid before the, the match, and he cuts a really great, crazy Sid promo, which I will slice in here. Standing by, I believe Sid, Doc! All right, thank you, Vince. Sid, it must be a nice surprise and a great feeling, the overwhelming support you've received from the WWF fan, fans since you returned to the World Wrestling Doc, Federation. Doc, stop right there. I know what the question is. Let me give you the answer. See, it didn't start then. It started months ago. One night I'm laying in the sink, and it came to me. The people 
Sid is massively over here. The crowd are into him as we get started. A clothesline and a slam and a power slam all get him two counts before Clarence Mason comes out to help the Bulldog. He comes back with a delayed vertical, and very faintly, we hear someone feeding the commentary team lines about famous people from Cleveland. So a little production snafu there. Sid hits a stinger splash and then misses a second attempt. The Bulldog hits his power slam, but Jim Cornette comes out and argues with Clarence Mason. This distracts the Bulldog, allows Sid to hit the choke slam, and the crowd go absolutely wild as he hits the power bomb for the 1-2-3. They kept this short, all high impact, had storyline involvement, so this was really well booked, and the crowd absolutely adore Sid at this point in time. Our next contest is Goldust taking on Mark Miro. Todd is with Miro and Sable. He cuts an average promo. I'm not a big fan of the wild man character personally. We get a gold dust slap and he uses the referee as a shield. Some Miro arm drags, a gold dust headlock. Mankind comes out to harass Sable. Miro hits a nice springboard elbow and an inverted atomic drop. Then hits a knee lift. Um, the quiet, the, the quiet, the crowd are pretty quiet during his offense personally. Miro's not as over as Vince had hoped he would be. A somersault plancher does get a bit of a pop though. He then hits a shooting star press, which JR had told us he was going to debut a new move called the Wild Thing, and that's what it was. Marlena distracts her, and it only allows him to pick up a two. Maybe should have saved it for winning a match. Miro hits a power slam for a two before Goldust locks on the curtain call for the one, two, three. Goldust sleezes on Mabel before Miro saves her after the match. I think Goldust is the right winner. He's way more over than Miro, but just don't debut the shooting star press during the match if that's the the angle you're going to. Sorry, if that's the ending you're going to go with. We then go to a breakdown of Ahmed Johnson's injury at the hands of Farouk, and we're told an eight-man intercontinental title tournament will start tomorrow on Raw, and there'll be a battle royal tomorrow between Goldust, Austin, Savio Vega, and Sid um, for Ahmed Johnson's title shot on the Friday episode of Raw coming up, because Ahmed had won a battle royal to earn a future title shot. I guess they were the final four in, in the thing, I think. So I'm um, looking forward to that episode of Raw, which I'll be watching very soon. We then see Fruit come out with Sonny and Todd, and they cut a promo on Ahmed. Not their best work. Fruit in the Gladiator character didn't last long, obviously. And we get a Jake, the Snake Roberts, and Jerry Lawler video package, which I will splice in the audio, at least right here. Six, yeah. Under the ring. Taking out to this very special footage involving both individuals. Anytime you become an addict or an alcoholic, there's so much shame and guilt involved. He had a problem and he drank it. <laughs> but the bottom line for me was, is whenever I got to a point that I didn't want to live anymore, where I wanted to die. You know, when most people get drunk, they see snakes. But when snakes get drunk, they see Jake Roberts. <laughs> My hope is, is that uh, 
I'll be able to help some of the younger athletes. Well, they don't have to make the same mistakes that Jake Roberts made. People like you are supposed to turn the other cheek, right? Yeah. Let's see if you turn the other cheek. You see, what I believe in is an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Aldo doesn't even drink. Smell the oh. oh, Jerry the King Lawler reveling in his victory. One thing I promise you, this week, you'll be reaching out and saying, God, please help Jake get off of me. Jake, please don't put that snake on me. God, help me. Fink introduces Mark Henry, who joins the commentary team for the next match, which is Jerry the King Lawler up against Jake the Snake Roberts. During his entrance, Jerry Lawler insults the town of Cleveland, Mark Henry, and Jake Roberts, uh, which is pretty funny. And inside a snake bag, he has a humongous bottle of wine, possibly the biggest bottle of wine I've ever seen. Jake gets a snake out early because we know it's not going to be wrestling, but gets this one over, gets it on Lawler before the referee Harvey Whippleman makes him put it back in the bag. They brawl along the outside. Roberts hits a, a low kick and Jerry Lawler tries to pour some Jim Beam on him, but Jake tries for a DDT, which is blocked. We get the short clothesline and Jerry Lawler comes back with a bottle again and threatens to pour it on him. Um, he pulls the tights in a roll-up and gets a 1-2-3 in a pretty quick victory. Jerry Lawler cuts a promo after the match on J- Jake Roberts being drunk. He pours Jim Beam all over him before Mark Henry stops him pouring a second bottle out. So this was a bit of a... I, I felt bad for Jake Roberts during this whole thing. He's embarrassed, he's mocked, and then he loses. So there's no comeuppance and someone else, the new kid on the block, has to come and rescue him. Um, obviously, Jake was going through, as they say, his demons at the time and hadn't really overcome them despite the storyline being that he had, but it's still made for some uncomfortable viewing. We then go to our semi-main event, which is The Undertaker taking on Mankind in the first ever Boiler Room Brawl. Undertaker's in the Boiler Room and we can't see Mankind yet, but he sneaks up from behind with a pipe and they go to a bit of a weapons brawl. We have no commentary, but we can hear the... um, the noises from them, which is a little bit odd. Um, I think the lack of commentary made the match go a little bit long. Mankind, Mick Foley, alludes to it in his book, but I think he's very proud of the match, whereas an outside observer can just say, yeah, they should have had commentary. Mankind hits a pipe to the balls of The Undertaker and throws him into some doors. We lose the camera feed during this for a moment, which is a good special effect. Mankind climbs a ladder to nowhere and gets yanked off it. That'll teach him for being stupid. The Undertaker uses a fire extinguisher and they brawl through the locker room before the commentary starts up again. It, it was a weird thing where the commentary talked as they were going in and then as soon as they came out, but not while they were in the boiler room. So who knows what they were going for. Kudos for trying. Mankind throws a big pot of coffee on The Undertaker, which obviously would have been at room temperature, but made you feel like he was being burnt. They brawl into the arena Um and it's hilarious here as they come out to the ringside area. Obviously, this is pre-Titantron. I pissed myself laughing because the crowd were watching on wheeled-in square box TVs like you got on a rainy day if you went to school in the 90s. It was hilarious. They brawl into the ring. Undertaker um, knocks Mankind off the apron under the concrete, his famous back bump, which is always sick to watch. Undertaker drops to a knee for Paul Bearer, but he does not give him the urn. Mankind comes back in and locks in the mandible claw. This is such a shocking turn. Um, As he goes to get the urn, however, Undertaker sits up and gets the claw again. And this time, Paul Bearer slaps the Undertaker and smacks him in the head with the urn to seal the heel turn and gives Mankind the urn and the victory. 
the match itself is probably not as good as I remember. Um, like a lot of people, I probably remember this as being one of those Mankind Undertaker classics. It was good, but not great. Uh, however, the ending was. The ending was spectacular. Came out of nowhere, and it finishes off with Druids coming out to eerie music to remove the Undertaker's lifeless body. What a turn. What an angle. And the brawl itself was really good as well, but just not quite at the level I remember. After that, Jim Cornette and Vader are with Doc Hendricks, which I will splice in here because it's some classic Cornette promo work. One of the most shocking things in World Wrestling Federation history, and I know you guys intend on shocking 20,000 people in the Gund Arena and millions across the world by ending Shawn Michaels' boyhood dream in his championship reign. I don't care if there's 50,000 stinking people out there. It's going to make no difference. Shawn Michaels, we proved a lot of things. We proved that Vader can pin you for a three count because he did it last month. We proved that he can beat you up because he did it on Raw. And now, tonight at SummerSlam, we're going to prove that Vader's going to beat you when it counts, and that's for the World Wrestling Federation title. I promised last month Camp Cornette would win. I'm promising tonight that Vader is going to beat Shawn Michaels. Shawn, when he grabs you around the neck and you try to talk, then your voice is going to sound like Peter Frampton's electronic kazoo and in the instrumental break. And do you feel like we do? And it's going to be a bad ride from there because one way or another, we're going to come out on top tonight. Vader's beating Shawn Michaels once and for all. I guess we're fixing to find out if it is Vader time. Back to you guys at ringside. And it's time for our main event, Vader taking on Shawn Michaels for the world title. Vader throws a stairs on his entrance and is looking really pissed off. Some girl jumps a barricade for Shawn Michaels. He's really over with the women at this point in time. And when we get started, Vader unloads with some body shots and a stiff, short clothesline. Michaels, um hit some Daniel Bryan-style kicks to Vader to try and slow him down, and then a plancher, a top rope, axe handle, and a hurricane runner, which could be scary getting someone the size of Vader over. Vader hits a powerbomb on the floor, which should end it in theory, before going into an extended beatdown, including a backdrop and a huge lariat-style clothesline. Michael skins the cat, and Vader catches him and tosses him um, into the ring for a two. Vader goes for an earthquake splash, but Sean gets his knees up to the balls. Sean goes for an elbow, and this is the classic hissy fit where Vader was meant to move. Um, you hear him yell, move, stops the, the move, um, stomps him, and then yells, move again, sorry. Um, just poor form from Sean. If it, it was a miscommunication, just hit the fucking elbow or fall short or whatever. Change your mind about going for it, but you don't scream at him in the middle of the match. It was just really, really poor. We get a Cactus Jack-style crossbody from Sean, taking them both out to the floor before Vader press slams Sean onto the barricade. We then get a count-out to booze. Sean is counted out. Cornette gets on the mic, and he wants it back on, and it's allowed. Sean Michaels gets back in. He then hits a racket shot, and Vader hits a belly-to-belly for a two. Michaels escapes a powerbomb, hits his flying forearm, and his kip-up, the elbow off the top. Before Cornette comes in, Shawn Michaels, however, steals his racket and nails Vader and is now disqualified. Cornette gets on the microphone again and we get a second restart. We get the forearm, the elbow, sweet chin music for a two. Before the referee takes a bump, Vader hits a powerbomb. A new ref comes out, but it's too late. It's a two count only. Vader goes for a moonsault and misses. And then Shawn Michaels hits his on a standing Vader for the one, two, three. Absolutely great, fast-paced, awesome match. The little guy against the big guy, awesome story. 
it wasn't for the tantrum in the middle of it, this would probably be one of my all-time favorite matches. I really enjoyed 96 Sean um, Vader before his luster was ruined, partially by this feud, wasn't phenomenal bully heel. If you haven't seen this match, go out of your way to watch it. It is a really, really good main event. I would be pressed to say there's not many WCW pay-per-view main events that, that put a candle to this um, in the whole history of WCW. I, I could be wrong, and I could be oversimplifying it, but I really loved this match, and this is up there with one of my probably top 20 pay-per-view main events, so definitely go out of your way to watch it. Um, but before I carry on too long about it, let's find out whether or not it was enough to carry SummerSlam to a victory over Hogwild. So for crowd heat, I went with the WWF simply because it was a normal crowd, three times the size of WCW, and wasn't filled with angry, drunk racists. Storyline, I went with a tie. I think both advanced the main storylines. Um, both had angles progressing throughout the show, but both also had some underground uh, undercard dross that I really didn't enjoy, so a tie there. For characters, I went with WCW. The invasion of Hall and Nash on top of their already decent roster with Hogan, Macho, Sting, Lex, and the Cruiserweight division probably gives them the edge. And we saw, you know, the tag match, especially on SummerSlam, was really some lower card guys at the time. For production, I went with a tie. They both had a few snafus. WCW's pay-per-view being outdoors probably made it a more complex show to broadcast, but it it didn't tell really throughout most of it. And that leaves us with a tie coming into match quality. And I had to lean towards the WWF, but it was closer than what I thought. Vader and Sean is an all-time classic, and The Undertaker of Mankind's a really good weapons brawl. Owen Hart on the undercard and Goldust, as well as how over Sid was, didn't hurt as well. Comparatively, I thought in WCW, the, the last two matches were... Um, Full of star power, but neither were really what you would call excellent matches. Flair and Guerrero is probably where it fell down, though. That could have been the one that stole the show. Likewise, the Steiners and Harlem Heat was too short. The The flip to all that, Ultimo Dragon and Rey Mysterio was phenomenal. Bull Nakano and Medusa was actually really good. And Malenko and Benoit, again, had it been a normal match in front of a normal crowd, probably could have stole the show. I think the WCW pay-per-view had matches that should be great, and the WWF had ones that were great, so... That's a difference. The slight win goes to SummerSlam. I have a feeling it could be the last the last win in a little while because WCW is really hitting its straps and the WWF is a fair way off turning the tide. But we go on enjoyment here and not who won the ratings. So that will do it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed listening. I'll be back really soon with a few more shows coming out in the next couple of weeks. And if anyone wants to contribute to the show, get in touch on Twitter at Rory's Nitro Podcast. If you want to send anything in for the show, also feel free to tweet me on there or email at Rory's Nitro Podcast at hotmail.com. Once again, that'll do it. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll be in touch very soon.